you know, I've come around to this idea of measuring your day in, in the number of hard conversations you've had. So if, if you've gone through a whole day and you haven't had a hard conversation, then, then I'm not sure you've really been extremely productive that day, at least as a leader. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, and welcome back to season two of the Inspire podcast. Vision matters. Whether you lead a team of five people or 50,000, you know that being able to articulate a vision, have people buy into it, and then move towards making it a reality are fundamental to success. But perhaps nowhere are the stakes for that higher than in professional sports. I'm sure you've heard the phrase hired to be fired. It's often thrown around in the sports world, and it's very true. If you don't deliver, the owners will usually make a change and try and find someone who can. And so having a vision is so critical because you have to bring the front office and the team together behind it. That's why I'm so excited to have on the Inspired Podcast today, Tim Bezbachenko. If you don't know Tim, well, you probably aren't a fan of Major League Soccer because Tim is very well known, uh, and particularly here in my city of Toronto. He helped mold TFC into a champion team, serving as Senior Vice President of Soccer Operations and General Manager from 2013 to 2018. And he did such a great job that he was chosen to uh, go home and take on the president role of Columbus Crew MLS soccer team. And he's been there for a year now. Uh, I had a great conversation with Tim. He talked to me about his journey, talked to me about how he went about creating vision. And I know you'll find it to be illuminating. So with that, please welcome Tim Bezpachenko. Tim, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Bart. It's nice to, to be on with you, and you you nailed my name, uh, good, uh, which you. is it's always <laughs> difficult and a challenge. You know, it's it's funny in Toronto. Very few people asked, um, you know, where it was from. It's just such a diverse city and full of people from all over the world that that it's very common to see a, a, a Chenko or Ukrainian Russian type <laughs> name, especially in the neighborhood that I was living in, Bloor West Village. But it's funny moving. Uh, in some ways back home, but but in other ways feeling a little bit of a foreigner because uh, people ask me all the time, ooh, that name, you know, where's that from? Or, or you know, uh, so it, it, it's interesting um, how, how, how that changes when you're moving from a city like Toronto to Columbus. You are, you know, just to back up for those who, who don't know, um, you've got an incredible pedigree. I know you were, you were a uh, highly capable quasi-amateur soccer player. Did you ever play professional? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's professional, um, if you want to call it that. It was just in the second division, second, third division. So um, <clears throat> full-time job. Didn't pay very well. 
but but it was enough. Uh, I got the apartment, and it was enough to at that time pay for groceries and beer with 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 money directly from playing soccer. So <laughs> it was in a league called the uh, the U, the USL, which is still around. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Toronto FC has a TFC has their second team uh, TFC two plays in that mm. same league. So didn't quite make it. You know, I I always say it was. Um, I always say it's because I didn't have it, it, the best mentors or people champion champion me in the way that you need. Uh, my wife just says, you, "Tim, you weren't very good, and, and you, were, you weren't good enough." <laughs> so I've, 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 over the last few years, seeing it, I, I've yeah, that that's probably the little lack of self awareness that if I had had that, <laughs> maybe I would have made it. Um, but, right. but yes, I, I did play uh, a little bit for a few years after college, and then you went to law school, right? That's right. Yeah. So, um, and for me, there was never really this vision, this long-term vision that being a professional soccer player was a possibility. So it was always, how am I going to set myself up to work in the industry in, in perhaps a different capacity than, than as a player? And that's what led me to law school is from the very beginning was, was using the law degree to get back in soccer, to work in a, um, a front office, front office position. It's interesting that so you had the vision to be in the league in some way or be in the industry, but at the same time you were you were coming into it. You know, I guess you got your law degree. You're coming into it in the, a time when its future was very tenuous. When did that weigh on you at all when you joined? Um, it can be you know very very early on in my in my young uh, legal career. I realized that that I was passionate about soccer, hmm. not just all sports, but I was really passionate about youth and player development in particular, and so. There was an opening at Major League Soccer, which is about ten uh, to fifteen blocks south uh, in Manhattan, than than the law firm's office. So I I, I actually took the same subway line, um, but I sat down with the partner of the law firm, um, who is a well-known lawyer in Manhattan, and told him what I was doing. and And the look on his face was was one of disbelief because he <laughs> he, he he said, "Look, I you know I've been in mergers, acquisitions, and corporate law for a long time. Do you do you think this league is actually going to exist in, in three or four years?" And I and wow. I at that time I di- I just didn't know. You know, I said, I don't know, but, but I, what I do know is, is I believe in this sport and, and if you look globally at, at where it's heading, um, it has so much potential. And I feel like, you know, my experience is there's very, there's very few people that, um, that have played the game at, at, at all levels, maybe not at the highest level, but, but also, um, you know, have a different skill set that, that can help in some way, shape or form grow the league. And, and at the time the league was looking for a lawyer who, who had played professional soccer and there was, there was about five of us in North America. So I, I, I timed, I, people talk about timing. I, did, I did they make you have a shootout to see who'd get the, who'd get the position? <laughs> <laughs> no, thankfully, cause I would have lost that. Uh, <laughs> it would have sent it over the bar. Like I tended to do during right. the time <laughs> When you were hired, was there someone who's who shared a vision with you about the league that that gave you some hope that it was it was headed up and not down? At the time, um, this was in 2010 uh, to 2011. We thought we were getting the World Cup in 2022, um, hmm. and so all of the the vision and strategy around the league was focused toward this date and using the 2022 World Cup as a uh, sort of a launch pad for soccer for the next 20, 30 years. And then we obviously know how that played out, but to watch the owners, and, and when I say owners, I mean, you know, the, the crafts and the, and the the hunts who helped d- uh, build the, the NFL, as well as some of the new owners, the Adrian Hanauers of the Seattle Sounders and um, other executives at the league sit in a room and, um, and really, 
kind of plan out where this this sport was going to go and then for the next 10 years was um probably the best education i could have ever had um, because you see how messy it is you see how really smart people can can differ in in in, in their opinions and how quickly it will take to get there um and so that the way that they created the vision and then the strategic imperatives or, or directives underneath was something that i was um i i tried to take uh to my time at, in toronto and when they had that setback and the whole vision around building around the cup what vision ultimately emerged after that yes yeah, so, so the decision before when they thought they were getting the world cup was to be among the best leagues in the world by 2022. And then they were going to use the, the assets and the inventory and, and the, um, the momentum behind getting a World Cup to, to get us there. And the moment that, that this vision was still something we wanted to go after. And, and not only that, but was it possible without the World Cup? And uh, again, to their credit, they decided that we're, that the league was just going to have to be smarter, um, you know, work work harder, and it was still possible, and that they did not want to change the vision. And so, um, hmm. you know, it, it again that is another example of of how you create a vision, and it needs to be big enough, and 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 sort of uh, aspirational enough that that you're going to have challenges and roadblocks along the way, mm-hmm. um, unexpected sort of thunderbolts that are going to enter into the uh, the process and you have to decide if that vision is going to carry you through or, or you're going to have to revise that vision. Hmm. Uh, and in this case, they decided to keep it. And I'm sure that's a lesson that that stayed with you when you when you joined TFC. Because I know, you know, it, it, so you brought huge success to the city, but it wasn't a it wasn't an easy path by any means. And Tell me a bit about how you transitioned from the league office in, in you know, a legal capacity and, and kind of a infrastructure almost building capacity to an active role as a, as a general manager. My job for the first year was to manage the salary caps of the teams like Toronto who had already been, but, but to actually help the general manager in the front office of Vancouver and Portland actually build their rosters. Watching them, uh, you know, the teams do this, uh, it became apparent that some teams do it better than the others, that that the ones that have a, a vision and that have a philosophy or a pedagogy of the way they're going to teach in their academy, they, they, they seem to have more success, you know, and sometimes it was a stated vision or stated purpose and other times it wasn't. But the ones that had a, a clear identity or, or a style of play on the pitch, um, they had something that, that, that spoke to their identity. They, t- they tended to be more successful. And so um, then I stepped in at Toronto FC and, and, and it was at a job where I think there had been eight, eight coaches and um, nine coaches in, in, in eight years and, and five general managers in wow. eight years. So, so did um, you unpack? It, 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and, and, and the previous general manager and president was, was Kevin Payne, who had actually been uh, sort of a, one of the patriarchs of the league who had run DC United and won multiple championships there. So it was a little intimidating actually walking in and uh, in the heels of Kevin, who I know and respect tremendously in the profession. Yeah. So I had a similar conversation with, with the person, my boss at the league office, as I did with the, the partner at the law firm, which was, he looked at me with a surprise gaze and, and one of, of, or, you know, are you sure you want to go uh, there? <laughs> your future is going to be more uncertain than it is here. And you're working at a team where, where the only constant is change. Right. Um, and, and I felt like he was right. Uh, I didn't know. And I wasn't 
sure if I was going to be around for, for longer than a year. Um, the gentleman, Tim Laiwicki, was the CEO of MLSE at the time, and he recruited me up there. And he, he has a penchant for, for – and he's known for, for maybe not keeping executives around. So I didn't know what I was in for. Um, but, but what I knew that I was going to learn something. And I knew that, uh, that that's, that's at that time, what, that's what I was really seeking was to learn something. I was looking to, to experience a different city and a different opportunity for my family. But then I also knew that the, the opportunity to do something great, mm-hmm. which rarely comes in, in, in sports, let alone our lives, to do something great and to leave a legacy mm. um, was, was there. And so mm. that was the, you know, there was a tremendous amount of risk, but the opportunity was also a fantastic one. So you get there, you're coming into a place where the only constant is change. The, the, the wins have been few and far between. I remember going to some of the early games. <laughs> and how do you start? How do you start setting that vision? Is it something that you come in and you just say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to be. Or do you start by listening? Tell me about your first couple months in the job. For me, um, being 31, 31 years old, youngest general manager in the league, having never done this before, I didn't really know a whole lot about it other than what I had experienced at the league office. So I just, you know, got our executive team together and I had given a lot of thought about where this club can go and what it could be. And I put it down on paper and within the first couple of weeks started sharing it with the executive staff, um, at least on the soccer operations side and, and started to get their feedback. Um, and it was one at the time. And, and I think this, this is one thing that I, that I am proud about is I knew I could not be the leader that could walk in as a 31 year old and many people being in the front office, being older than me and say, this is how it is. This is not by any means Trumpian. Uh, this is probably the complete opposite, right? Which is that you're going to have to seek collaborative, uh, uh, seek others to collaborate with in order to create the vision. I'm, I'm even, even now, even yeah, I get the sense that that uh, hasn't, you know, even though you're, you have much more experience now, you've got the, the championship. I get the sense from our earlier conversations that that's also just one of your qualities that you, I imagine you've come into the crew and you haven't imposed a vision, but instead are seeking that collaboration. Is that right? Yeah, that's 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 correct. I think I think everyone has to understand kind of who they are and what they're they're good at, and their the, the self awareness has to be there. And for me, I'm 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 a like it or not, I'm I'm a consensus builder, and mm-hmm. I, I want to get a lot of people's ideas. I want to get people around the table. So, what was that first vision that you articulated, and did it evolve? The the first vision, um, I'll just say it again. It was to be internationally recognized as a leader in player development, a leader in innovation and a consistent contender for championships in North America. But it did evolve the internationally recognized piece of it. Um, we sort of had the three pillars from the beginning. We know we wanted to be purposeful in the way we teach young players because we felt like over the long term that was going to be critical to reflect the values of Toronto um, as a city uh, and as a country that we wanted to be strong in player development so that the players on the field for the first team reflected um, the people in the stands. Innovation because because we had the resources of you know a, a multi-team organization behind it um, as well as a committed owner or owners. Um, and then obviously a consistent contender in North America was another piece that we had. Consistent contender was there, but North America being the fact that we wanted to be a contender, not just in the league, but also in Champions League, which is the competition in all of North America with the Caribbean, Central American teams as well. 
and as well as kind of uh, it, it was another way to include the Canadian Championship. But we added the piece internationally recognized because we don't we at the time MLS was still trying to find its feet, and we didn't feel like there was a club that was other than maybe the LA Galaxy that had a reputation uh, in Europe or in South America of doing things right, of winning, of playing a, a proper or attractive style of football. And so that was part of the words that we added in. But th- that came from, uh, you know, a few weeks or, you know, a month, maybe, maybe I guess it was probably eight to 12 weeks of, 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 of discussing what we wanted to be and how long it was going to take to get there. And what I love about that is the fact that there's such intention behind the selection of every every word, every, you know, it's not just kind of a throwaway statement or a platitude that as you're able to unpack, you know, international, North American, there's meaning behind these. And, and I imagine for the people in the organization who, as you point out, brought a lot of experience and perspective, that made them feel very bought into what you ultimately settled on. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think that there's little pieces of, of, of every vision that, that, that resonate with different people, and so um, it need the the vision from from that perspective at Toronto FC needed to incorporate some piece that every, it could resonate with everyone and all the staff. So if you're working in the academy, you know at the top end, yes, we're here to, to develop professionals, and that'll help us be contend for championships, and that's what we're all after. But there's also a piece for me, which is that that we're focused on player development, and and I felt like over time, hmm. even personally. I have found different pieces of the vision uh, resonate with me or or speak to me, and that I wake up in the morning hmm. and I and I think about what I'm doing and how what I'm doing that day needs to really address something in the vision, even if even if you know very tangentially right. or indirectly. Um, and so it, that, that's why we felt like it, the, this this could evolve over time, um, but it could speak to enough of the people and then uh, you know all of the staff in some way, shape, or form. Right. Well, I know ultimately it took a few years, but you were successful in winning a championship. Do you start with this aspirational vision? I'm sure you came in, you know, the whole organization is now united and excited about what you're going to be. But it took a few years, a few tough years before you brought the championship to Toronto. Tell me how that vision and your commitment to it was tested in those years. There's sort of three camps of people. There's there's the first camp of hey they're bought in they're ready for something different and people is sort of is assuming that you've included them in the process they're going to buy in. Then there's there's a group that that very clearly from the beginning that they're not going to buy in or that maybe even the idea of having a vision isn't for them and that they believe that they're just going to go about their business and you need to decide whether or not if if those people are going to stick around and how many people if if, if you're going to allow them to stick around but and then there's the, the camp in the middle right who kind of get it and they they want to be a part of it but they're not really sure and so. I, I think at a soccer club, it might be a little bit different than than a, than a business or corporate organization where you have you're literally on a on a time clock. Like the, hmm. the clock starts, and you have one season if you're in Europe, two seasons, maybe two and a half if you're in Major League Soccer to get this right. Right, you have to make playoffs. It's a very tangible and clear hmm. and firm goal. Uh, and if you don't do it, you're going to be out. So whatever vision you have, it, it could be great because it's going to take, but it's going to take five or ten years and. And what I realized very quickly was that if 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 you were not on board on the vision, then then 
you probably have no place in the organization. And I, it took me longer than it probably have, should have to realize that. And, and this is not any individuals, uh, specific individuals. It's just across the board. I think it's something that I learned. I think I failed in that way. Maybe, maybe failed to articulate the vision in a way that resonated with more people. But, but if uh, what I've realized over time, once we did establish a winning culture, probably in the third and fourth year, when you brought on people or you had coaches or staff that were not bought in, it was so clear that they didn't fit in that they actually left the organization themselves. Right. And I feel like that's when you know you're starting to have some success. That's, right. that's sort of a KPI is, is when people start to, when they don't fit in with what you're doing, um, and, and they start to seek, you know, uh, work elsewhere right? because, because, because it just doesn't, it doesn't, they don't wake up and have a purpose because right. it doesn't, hmm. it doesn't jive with the vision doesn't jive with, with their, their, their being, being their self. Well, I think you're less what you experience. You're right. It's not entirely the same in business, but I think there's such similarities. I mean, I think about, you know, CEOs of publicly traded companies or executives of, of major organizations, the clock is ticking, you know, and if you don't produce results, Either the shareholders or your boss or even the people who work for you will leave. So I think, you know, leaders, no matter what you're leading or whom you're leading, the the lesson is the same, that you've got to be able to articulate that vision and get people on board. And if people are not going to be on board, you need to make changes. And I do see that people are very reluctant to often make those difficult decisions that uh, it sounds like you ultimately had to make, but in ways that create the right culture. There's a group of, of, of general managers or presidents of soccer operations called the chief soccer officers at the Major League Soccer that get together quarterly to discuss various issues. And, and I would say the most common um, regret is delaying decisions, the tough decisions. Right. And, and I feel like that is something that, that, again, I've learned. It took me a while to get there, but, but you know, I've come around to this idea of measuring your day in, in the number of hard conversations you've had. Mm-hmm. So if, if you've gone through a whole day and you haven't had a hard conversation, then, then I'm not sure you've really been extremely productive that day, at least as a leader, because mm-hmm. what we all do in our lives, and, and I've realized I do this probably more than others, is you, you avoid things. You put off things a day. Absolutely. Or you, uh, and, and what I would also put, include in that bucket is, you know, emailing um, or texting when you should be calling. Right. And and you're just really just putting off the conversation. So if it's anything difficult or anything hard, you know, it really should be in person. And and, and you often find that those conversations are they go a little bit smoother, they're a little easier if you actually have them in person. Um, And I know that's more tactical, but 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 it's something that I've, you know, I certainly have learned. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's an important lesson when you talk about you know, measuring your day in hard conversations, because, you know, my view, you know, doing this for 20 years, focused on leadership communication is that. What sets leaders apart is that they inspire, right? And they inspire people to you know, to new heights or to move forward in some way. And if people already, you know, if you're if you're not challenging people, if you're not pushing them to adopt new beliefs or stronger beliefs, then they're not going to move, right? And uh, you should be. Um, and what value are you adding? So I think that's a really that's a really uh, good way to hold yourself to task as you change an organization's culture. And, and, and to that, you know, what I would just say is um, a lot of times you're just, you're just, you're giving it to people straight and you're, you're just having an honest conversation about, you know, their performance or a project. And so they need to, they need to have that information mm-hmm. in order for them to feel motivated and, and be inspired uh, or else they won't have all the tools they need to, right. to, to get to where you want them to go. 
And speaking of getting to where you want to go, so you won. Uh, tell me, you know, tell me about how it felt after the championship when you realized a lot of the goals, and then what you did with your vision at that point. Did you adapt it? Did you did you change it? Because you'd realize the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it, it's it's and, and I say this a little bit tongue in cheek, but but <laughs> after winning the the treble. Um, which is the Canadian cha- the domestic Canadian championship, the, the, the supporter shield, which is the um, regular season, the team with the highest points uh, out of the league in the regular season in MLS Cup. Um, it felt, you know, it, it felt fantastic and felt great. But, but one thing is, which is, again, very strange, is we, we had another goal, which is to win the Champions League. Mm. So um, at that time, we felt it was still a little bit incomplete. And to this day, I, I still feel like hmm. there's a little part of me who feels like we didn't we didn't do it all. Uh, hmm. We didn't finish and complete the job. So um, we, we we as for the for the listeners that that out there that don't know, you know, the season ends in December. Uh, the MLS Cup was December 9th or tenth. Um, 2017, but we played in it, it earned us the right to compete in this competition against Central America and Caribbean teams, including the Mexican teams, which are their payrolls are three, four, five X hours. Wow. Um, trying to win this, 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 this hmm. the crown of North America. So in some ways, the, the full the full realization of the goal would have taken shape if we had won the Champions League, which we did not. And so then you take uh, exciting opportunity to come home that the crew has been saved and that's a whole other we could do a whole other podcast on that <laughs> the incredible community uh, effort that came together to save the club and they bring you in um, I know the organization is owned by the, the Haslams who own the Browns as well they bring you in to build a winner and, and so tell me in you know in these early days and I know you're you're in season one about the lessons that you've applied to creating a vision for the crew this project is is it's different um but there's going to be obviously some similarities that i'll discuss but it's different in the sense that it's in many ways it's like a startup because a majority of the staff on the business side um, left for austin with the previous ownership group there's a number of people who are still here and and thankfully so because um i don't know what i would have done walking in (laughs) day one without any staff and it's a bigger job. I, I should I should just mention you've gone from being the general manager of the team to being the general manager and essentially the president, which is the business side. Is that right? So you have kind of two hats now. That's correct. That's correct. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm learning what what the team means and this club means to our people within the organization. And so um, you know, some months in, we are we are that place where we're, we hired our executive team, including our chief business officer Steve Lyons. Who just was hired this week, and um, I'll get with Steve, and I'll thanks, thanks. No, it's um, it's good to be at a place where I feel like we have a a, a team that we can get in a room to start talking about um, what we want to be, and so so what I always mm-hmm. try to get out in this process is, is sort of sort of this statement that comes to mind that I've read recently a few times is sort of a purpose driven club sets out a clear actionable statement that defines why they exist, and I feel like that statement is what Steve, myself, and the rest of the team, including Haslam Sports Group, we need to decide over the mm. next sort of month or month and a half so that we can finish the season and go into 2020, uh, which is the last year we have in our current stadium, mm-hmm. and start to identify something different than, than what this club has been and, and meant to the community in the past. And I think it's what's really interesting listening to you describe that is 
you know, you're, that you said, look, this is not, even though you had great success with TFC, you came in, you had a vision, as you said, and then you kind of iterated it. You really recognize that this is a different situation and, and you chose not to impose a vision prematurely, uh, you know, because you said, look, we're just going to build the team. We're going to build our infrastructure on the business side and work through it. And I think that's really fascinating because I think a lot of leaders almost feel like there's a prescriptive time that they have to have a vision articulate. And what I'm hearing from you is that you felt you actually it would have been the wrong thing to do to start early. Is that right? I, I think so. And, and time will tell, Bart. Time will tell if, if it was right or not. I, I just, you know, I think with any leader, you got to go with, you know, there, there's some intuition and gut and you got to read the surrounding environment and, and, and the cues from people and decide if now is the time to go through this process. And, and you know, for all the, the executives and, and, and people that have done vision creating process, it, it, it's a long process and it mm-hmm. takes a lot of energy. And you you need to clu- include uh, a variety of people on the whole ladder of your organization. And so I just didn't feel like the t- we didn't feel like the time was right. Um, mm. And so it is something that, that we feel like now we're getting closer to it. And we'll need to spend some time together now that we have a, a, a fair, pretty much a full team in place. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the other thing, you know, li- listening to you describe how powerful it was to bring the team together in the creation of the TFC vision. Since you didn't have the team yet, it would have been you wouldn't have drawn on that kind of collective wisdom. And in fact, probably the people you were hiring was were very excited to have the opportunity to shape it with you. That's exactly it. So, so there's if if let's just say I had brought a vision and put it down in paper, and I do have thoughts. It's not like it's it's completely blank canvas here. There are mm-hmm. you know various aspects to the vision that I think will be included in it, uh, but but. I've been very honest with uh, the people that have come on board that I've interviewed and brought in to um, to learn about the club that that we're still in this in this process, this vision process, and that they need to be a part of it. And so I can't exactly, you know, when I'm interviewing for a job, I like to say see a clear vision because I want to know what I'm getting myself mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. and whether or not I share that vision. And so part of it that what's been interesting is actually being trying to be honest with people saying we haven't figured it out yet and and we don't know who why we exist quite yet we know that that Columbus is a growing modern city that 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 is um, you know that that's transforming its identity and we want to be the city's team um, but but we don't have a like a firm vision in place and that that we want you to be a part of it and so it's just a different project for people to, to come into yeah. than, than perhaps uh, what we had at Toronto FC. Well, I think that speaks to why you're the right guy to do it, because, you know, it's not one size fits all, but it, it's you listening to the people around you and looking at what you have and you'll get there. You'll get there. So, look, I uh, I, I, I appreciate your time. And, and, you know, maybe before we wrap, you know, you, you've gone through this successfully. You've seen you know, at TFC, you've seen leaders in the and owners in the in the office revitalize the league. You're now doing setting a vision for a new club, you know, for people listening who may not run an MLC soccer team, who may run a small team, may run a company, may aspire to be in leadership. If you had three pieces of advice to give them around vision, what would they be? Um, First, uh, I think you have to write it down. I think it needs to be stated. I, at least I would encourage people to make sure that it is written down and is firm and it's stated. So um, whether or not you're coaching a team or 
um, you're holding a family meeting with your kids. I, I feel like um, your values and your vision should be something that should be discussed, but but actually put them down on paper. Um, there are many, many leaders and successful uh, and charismatic leaders who've affected change in the world that have not written it down and they just do it, do it through their actions. But in today's world with all the media, uh, social media that's available, email, uh, telephone, all these things, I, I think the one thing that's important to write down and put in, in people's face is your vision. So that's the first first one. Um, the second one is is probably common sense, but it needs to be grand enough that, that it can't be achieved hmm. in a short period of time. So, so, hmm. so um, it needs to be aspirational. Um, it there there it needs to be broad enough that it it can inspire, uh, you know all of the people that you're hoping to inspire, and it can't just speak right. to a few. Um, and then the last one is 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 it needs to, you need to understand that 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 change is uh, inevitable, and so you your vision needs to inc- include uh, ways for it to change or you need as a leader to understand that it will in fact change uh, maybe uh, just a little bit uh, or, or maybe a lot uh, in terms of of you achieving your goals um, and your goals may change as well so hmm. um, those are the three that I would I would I would share well and I, and I love them I mean especially the one that really resonates with me is the aspirational one because in that story you told of how you know, in the season, it seemed like you have it all. And I was thinking, oh, you know, the vision, is that it for the vision? You point out the one area where it hadn't quite been realized and which clearly still drives you and drove the club to aspire to excellence. And, and I love that. that it's, it's just within reach and uh, moves everyone forward. So, yeah, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate you sharing your your story with me. I know we, we had a couple chats, but to, to hear it, from uh, the risk you took in leaving that, you know, that sure thing law firm to uh, leaving the league <laughs> office to uh, to a job that you know, had churned through a lot of people to building a winner in, in my in my city. And now uh, I know you'll do the same in your uh, in the place you grew up. It's 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 been a great story. And I appreciate you sharing it with me and with everyone listening to this podcast. Sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tim Bezbachenko. The stakes are always high when you're in the world of professional sports, and it really drives home how important it is to get that vision together and get people behind it, because if you don't, the owners will find someone who will. And Tim is clearly someone who has delivered, so I know that uh, I took a lot away from the conversation and hope you did too. If you enjoyed it, please, as always, rate and review it, promote it, promote the podcast on social media. It's how we get the word out. And tune in in two weeks. My guest will be Mary Lagakis Engel. No, we are not related. Engel, not Egnall. And Mary is a uh, true professional in teaching management skills. And she talks to me about what uh, situational management is and how you can build your capability to flex your style to influence and lead no matter whom you're speaking to. So look forward to having you join me for that conversation. Thanks. Thanks.